I'm Jack Zemlicka, and welcome to this episode of our 2018 Strip-Till Farmer Podcast Series. Today's program, Overcoming Challenging Soils for Successful Strip-Till, is being brought to you by Topcon Agriculture. If this is your first time tuning in, you can subscribe to this series and get updates on future episodes currently available in iTunes, the Google Play Store, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, and TuneIn Radio. Or if you prefer another app for listening to podcasts, let us know and we'll look to get it added. Thanks again to Topcon Agriculture for its support of this podcast series. Agronomy matters, and Topcon Agriculture application solutions make it work. From planning to precision machine control, NORAX boom height control, monitoring and mapping, to data management, you have the total set of solutions to maximize your agronomic plan. Find out how to make the most of your 4R nutrient stewardship with precision technology that is unmatched in ease of use. Visit them at topconpositioning.com slash growing solutions. Well, when Hillmark, California farmer Aaron Wickstrom made the transition to strip-till, it was primarily a business decision. After more than 75 years, the family's 1,000-acre operation was starting to struggle with yield and nutrient efficiency. Farming three different types of beach sand, Wickstrom maintains a three-crop rotation of silage corn, sorghum sudan grass, and winter wheat, and has been able to grow 180 bushel corn on about 78 units of nitrogen. As Aaron says, it's all about sustainability and the economics of our operation that validated our move from conventional tillage to strip till. Our goal is to spoon feed the nutrients to the crop based on need so we can minimize waste and maximize production. In today's strip till farmer podcast brought to you by Topcon Agriculture, Aaron discusses his proven methods for conquering unfavorable soil conditions with strip till including split end applications and improving early emergence by minimizing risk with a wider planting window. I'm from the big city of Hillmar that no one's heard of. We're kind of right smack middle of the state of California, east, west, north, south. We're about 90 minutes uh, from San Francisco in the Bay Area and also about 90 minutes uh, from skiing in the Sierra Nevada mountains. Uh, this is our main dairy facility. Main business is uh, our dairy, um, fourth generation uh, dairy farmer in Hillmar. Operations started with my great grandfather in uh, 1940 uh, when uh, he was in the construction trade, built dairies and dairy parlors, had one client that couldn't pay um, totally for the construction he'd done, so he uh, gave my grandfather a Jersey calf. So my great-grandmother raised that Jersey calf, started milking it, and how cows and reproduction work, we ended up uh, with uh, 2,400 cows now today is what we milk. Uh, our farming operation consists of 980 acres, 385 acres of that we use flood irrigation, which is the predominant uh, irrigation uh, type in our area in the Central Valley. And then we also now have 595 acres of pivot irrigation. That's something we put in about three years ago with the epic drought we had and finally broke this year, thank goodness. Um, crops grown, uh, everything is grown for silage to feed the dairy cows. We grow full season corn silage, a sorghum sedan after that, and a winter forage mix. And so typically with that, that forage mix will be a wheat, oat, uh, rye mix, or uh, we've experimented Italian ryegrass or straight uh, wheat for silage. 
So with flood irrigation, it's uh, conducive for our area. A lot of stuff is broken up into really small parcels, and we have our irrigation laterals that crisscross all over our part of the country. So it's really hard to find big parcels uh, to put in pivots. Thankfully, after uh, 2009, with the downturn in the dairy economy, we had a lot of dairy farmers in our area retire, and so we were able to lease or purchase um, two farms that um, just kind of our area where Rarity had big 140-acre fields without any obstructions, and we were able to put pivot irrigation uh, systems in. So just wanted to go through kind of our strip-till setup and then uh, just kind of the reasons why we convert over strip-till from traditional tillage, and I'll kind of cover what that traditional tillage plan in the Central Valley usually is, pretty uh, typical type system for our area. Our current uh, setup right now is a case row track uh, 370 with the narrow tracks. We run a 12-row Orthman one-tripper. We run the shanks down all the way, about 15 and a half to 16 inches. Seems to work uh, really well in our sandy soils. So this is awfully sped up. Um, you can see one of our irrigation laterals that kind of crisscross. So it's kind of an odd-shaped triangle field. And you kind of see where we disc down our borders uh, for flood irrigation. So typically, we'll be anywhere from 80 to 140 feet wide checks um, that will then irrigate. Uh, we use the John Deere 1725 planter, full precision planting uh, setup. Uh, we had problems previously just with spacing and uniform emergence of the corn uh, when we were having custom planted. So since then, uh, it's been great using precision planting technology. Uh, this is one of our farms, pivot farms, obviously, you can see harvested. This is middle of the drought, and we ended up with some of the best yields in production we've ever had using strip-till and some of our irrigation techniques. Typically, we'll put up about 34,000 tons of silage per year between the three crops uh, for our dairy operation. So traditional tillage in California. For our area, what we were doing before we transitioned to strip-till, we were having everything done by two local custom farmers. For corn silage crop, usually in the spring, uh, we'll spread uh, dry manure, we'll do deep ripping, we'll disc twice to kind of break up any clods and, and incorporate the winter forage crop that we're going into. We'll then pre-irrigate um, over that ground, kind of get a deep saturation of moisture, wait about a week to 10 days, and then we'll do a fine disking after that. And so uh, after that, we plant, and kind of that cost ends up being right around $140 per acre. Some areas further south where they have a higher clay content soil will have to make more passes over that ground. And one thing I didn't add in here, but with traditional tillage and our sand, flood irrigation, having to have it level so we have uniform and fast uh, irrigation over that ground, we also have to go in and laser level uh, every few years, which can be anywhere from $80 to $90 per acre. After our uh, full season corn crop, uh, what we'd do, we'd go in, double disc it, disc in the uh, corn stubble, we pre-irrigate once again and then come in and disc after that pre-irrigation plant. Um, that added up to about $89 an acre. And same thing for our winter forage crop. We usually plant about the beginning of November. They'll grow through the winter and we'll harvest usually around uh, mid-April uh, before our corn crop goes in. 
So in total, um, for a corn crop, $140 an acre, sorghum sedan crop, $89, and our winter forage crop, $89 an acre too. So our total annual cost for planting tillage usually averaged around that $318 to $420, depending if we had to laser level that year. So what, what we did is we transitioned to a strip-till, no-till system. Our primary uh, driver for that was economics, you know, with dairy thin margins, you know, how can we save money? And the farming side, being a dairy farmer was kind of uh, not a forgotten aspect, but didn't get a lot of attention. We had custom uh, farming operations do that, so it's just a matter of taking care of the logistics of, of irrigating and make sure, you know, we got that corn in. And uh, with our sandy soils, you know, that could be a struggle. So after researching, we looked at no-till, Kind of looked, figured with our soil types that might not be the best system to go into with corn right away. And we happened, happened to stumble across a business-friendly environmental group in our area called uh, Sustainable Conservation. And they had teamed up with Monty Bottens, who's here, uh, with A&P and the dealership in California, California Ag Solutions. So I was introduced to them. They had a lot of experience with strip-till here in the Midwest and had done some pilot projects in uh, South Valley of California. So they're very instrumental in helping us get set up with the system, explaining it, educating you know, us, you know, kind of some of the pitfalls and that allows us our first year with strip tilling to be very successful. We also that first year happened to line up with the first annual strip till conference. So that was huge, learned so much. Our primary driver was, was economics of moving over to strip till but kind of learned, you know, as we talked to people, got more involved soil science and it's the biology of, you know, the other ancillary effects of strip-till in our soil biology. So right now we're running about $164 per acre for a full year three crop cropping cycle, which saves us $153.21. So that was nothing to sneeze at. So I was happy with just that, just the savings if we got no other benefits. Um, we actually saw our yields go up, so we didn't have a yield loss or anything like that. So I was uh, thrilled. So we have some challenges in our area. We have very sandy soils. We have three predominant type beach sands for the most part. If you have a field, could be farmed for 100 years, and you go the road that hasn't been farmed, it's yellow beach sand, like something you'd find on the beach in Santa Cruz or, or uh, San Diego. Other issues, water availability, which we last four years was pre-apocalyptic drought. It was worse than the previous huge drought we had in California in the late 1970s. And then non-drought years, we have a really high water table. So with uh, having a dairy farm and having effluent water, nutrient water we need to deal with, that leads into the possibility of nitrate leaching. And then also timing for three crops a year, our ground is pretty expensive with kind of the boom in uh, permanent crop plantings, almonds. That's driven ground in our area up to thirty dollars to $40,000 an acre for just open ground, nothing special, just flood irrigation. The most predominant type of soil in our area is called the Hillmar sand. It's a little bit finer textured sand uh, with a little bit of silt mixed in. We have the Merced River uh, that flows out of Yosemite National Park is uh, just about a quarter mile away from our dairy farm. So before the reservoirs were built at the turn of the century and into the 1940s, during the snowmelt, we'd have massive flooding in our area. So we'll get a lot of 
weird stratification of beach sand, a little bit of silt, and just kind of a, a mix of just weird types of sand and different textures. The other type we have is called the Delhi sand, which is a more uniform, more coarser textured sand. It drains very quickly. When corn is really pulling water, we can sometimes, before strip tilling, be on a seven-day irrigation cycle. You put the water out, and it disappears. You can be out in that field with the tractor within four or five days. Easy. No problems getting stuck. So Lake McClure, this is one of the two reservoirs that feed our farms, our irrigation district. This was taken in 2015. Uh, that year, our water allocation was one acre inch. A normal allocation is 48 to 60 inches per acre. Um, they actually got below the level where they couldn't release any water from the dam, so it was bad. And then California being a land of lots of extremes, this spring, that's my parents' house on the Merced River flowing from that same reservoir. We had enough snowpack in the Sierras that fed that, talking with a uh, hydrologist for our irrigation district. They could drain and fill up that entire reservoir twice. And so they had to release a lot of water. So for about three months, that was my parents. They had to have uh, rubber boots to get up into their house. There's a good uh, 12 inches of water surrounding it. So um, the high water table, pre-drought and our water levels will come back up as uh, long as we continue to have rain. It could be anywhere from six to 80 feet. Uh, there'd be times we'd be digging in pipelines, leave it overnight and you have water sitting in the bottom of the trench. And with our really uh, sandy soils, we don't really worry about phosphorus movement, it's that nitrate movement uh, into the drinking water. So that's one of the things in California uh, we have a regional water quality board um, that regulates dairies and other uh, farming practices where we have to have nutrient management plans, waste management plans um, for our farms to make sure we're not over applying uh, nitrogen or other nutrients to that ground just for safety of uh, groundwater. And then time. With, with our flood irrigation, you know, not having rain to build a plant into, typically after we do our deep ripping tillage operations, we pre-irrigate, which takes a few days to get through each farm, and then we'd have to wait seven to nine days so it was dry enough to be able to get back out and do that fine disking. So that was, uh, everything had to run perfect to do that three crop cycle per year. And there's several years just with heat or delays in water availability from the irrigation districts, we had to go down to two crops per year. Now the benefits, of it. We've had those challenges, and so that's something for years that we kind of fought is the sandy soils with our heat. You could, you know, till up uh, corn stalks, and if you dig in there two months later, you wouldn't find anything. It's just sand. You know, stuff would just fall apart. You wouldn't find any signs of organic matter just visually and feeling the soil. So, one of the things we saw that you know, kind of really surprised me is how fast our organic matter jumped. Because with our system, after we harvest our corn, we go in with a no-till drill and plant our sorghum uh, sedan silage. And then uh, as soon as that's harvested, we go in immediately right after that and plant our winter forage crop and irrigate that up. So we always now have something growing in our ground. And we've seen uh, huge effects just in soil biology, Previously, before we uh, switched to the no-till, strip-till system, you could dig out in the field and you'd hardly ever find uh, 
an earthworm ever. Like it was, it was a huge surprise. Now we have a much more vibrant soil, soil biology and diversity uh, using our system. So with, with that increase of uh, organic matter in the soil, we obviously, obviously saw increases in water holding capacity, which um, I believe was kind of a key and really saved us in the drought. Uh, we followed uh, just about 30 acres. We had uh, other local farmers that are following half their acres just because of the reduction of water. So we saw in our uh, flood irrigation, um, pre-strip till, traditional tillage, we'd use 46 to 54 inches for corn. Post-strip till, uh, we lowered that to about 40 to 45. And main reason for that is just with the strip till, instead of waiting that seven to 10 days to get in um, after our pre-irrigation before we plant and do our fine disking, we were able to get in with our one tripper three to five days after that pre-irrigation because we weren't going into soft tilled up soil. You know, we we're going on to what was remaining of our winter forage crop. So that right up front, we we're always planting into great moisture, better moisture than anything we'd uh, been able to do with the sandy soils uh, previously. Because the main reason for that disking after pre-irrigation is that, you know, top four inches had dried out. So we need to disk it to kind of bring the moisture, kind of flip it back up just because of the evaporation. The other big benefit we saw is this kept soils a lot cooler. It is not uncommon in beginning of May, we'll get a week of uh, triple digit weather for three, four, five days, which can, in our sand, it gets hot. You touch that soil, you will burn your hands. So that's been a huge benefit. And we also get a lot of spring winds where we'll get 40 to 50 mile an hour gusts. And previous strip till, we had several years where we had to replant our corn crop just because it got sand blasted. Just one of those things started getting windy and you just kind of cringe and you see the dust blowing, you go out and check your fields and well, yeah, I guess we're replanting. Look like it got sandblasted uh, right off at the surface. The other with the post strip till flood irrigation, we just found that when the corn was younger, we could expand our intervals at the beginning of the corn crop. We use soil moisture meters going down to 48 inches. And so we still use that today and that's how we initiate all of our irrigations. I, we've ground truth that trust the data Pivots and our flood irrigation, that's how we uh, schedule all of our irrigation out. And that has been great because we're not stressing our plant. Um, usually by the time we'd have a, a chance to check all of our fields, you start to see you know, signs of the corn pineappling and stressing. With the soil moisture probes, we've taken that out. You know, We can see, hey, here's where we're gonna hit our permanent wilting point. We'll schedule our irrigations well ahead of time, five days ahead of time. Let our ditch tenders, our irrigation system know, and so we can get the water exactly uh, when we want it. So we're not stressing those crops. Now the pivot irrigation, we've been averaging uh, 28 uh, inches for corn. We had one farm that was primarily that Delhi sand. The previous year before we put in the pivots, it used 70 acre inches of water. Uh, you put water out there and it would just disappear. It was just, it was, uh, we were irrigating 24 seven to get around it all summer, which was not fun. So we put pivots there. We increased our uh, yields dramatically with having the pivots and be able to fertigate those farms. We don't have any access to liquid nutrient water from the dairies. That's where we'll use compost from our dairy facility to dry spread, and then we'll fertigate everything else. So that's uh, dramatically reduced our need for commercial fertilizers. 
We'll get back to Aaron's discussion shortly, but I wanted to once again thank our sponsor, TopCon Agriculture, for making this podcast series possible. Agronomy matters, and TopCon Agriculture application solutions make it work. From planning to precision machine control, NORAX boom height control, monitoring and mapping, to data management, you have the total set of solutions to maximize your agronomic plan. Find out how to make the most of your 4R nutrient stewardship with precision technology that is unmatched in ease of use. Visit them at topconpositioning.com slash growing solutions. While Aaron discussed the substantial economic advantages of adopting strip-till, and he noted that they are saving about $153 per acre, but the benefits of his strip-till, no-till operation extend to improvements in soil biology as well. With conventional tillage, the sandy soils heated up to the point where two months into the season, no organic matter existed, Aaron says. Under the new system, he points out that there is something growing in the field all the time, since he no-till drills winter forage crops after corn harvest. The improvements in soil biology had a domino effect with increased water holding capacity in the soil, which was a major boost considering the triple digit temperatures and 50 mile per hour wind gusts that can sweep across the operation. Let's get back to the program now and hear more from Aaron Wickstrom on his experimentation and results implementing a drip irrigation system. Two years ago, at the height of the drought, we also experimented with drip irrigation and corn on the surface. So we took 160 acres, we went in, strip-tilled, planted our corn, and immediately after that went in and laid uh, on the surface drip tape in between each row. That was a lot of work, is expensive, but we needed the feed and it was a good learning opportunity just in case the drought had continued to this year, it had been pretty apocalyptic. Uh, we had had to start really pumping a lot of groundwater, which we don't normally do just because we probably wouldn't have had any or barely any allocation from our irrigation district. So with that, we end up using 26 and a half inches from corn. But the fascinating thing about that is working with Monty and California Ag Solutions, some of their consultants, is with pulsing the water in and injecting in that last pulse and using the soil moisture meters with our fertilizer, is we're getting that fertilizer to meet right at a strip-till zone where the corn was. So we used uh, less than 90 units of nitrogen on that no-dry spread manure, and uh, we ended up with over 34 ton per acre corn silage yield, which kind of blew my mind, but when we test in the strip till zone, we had plenty of nitrogen. So we were concentrating it right at the plant, so broadcasting it over the entire field. So the big thing um, that I think played the biggest part in our yield gains is our nitrogen holding capacity changes. So previously, we'd be anywhere from that mid-teens to mid-20s. Between 2013, 2014 for a year, we tried a one-pass tillage system. That was okay, kind of helped speed things up, but had some issues with some uh, hard pan layers and water infiltration uh, issues at the end of the fields. Started our no-till, strip-till combo. We test twice a year, so these are kind of averages of each year's test. And now our lowest field is uh, kind of in that low 50s. So we average between low 50s up to 70 pounds of nitrogen holding capacity. So previously, we, do, we have access to our nutrient water from our dairy. So we have plenty, plenty of fertilizer, but 
we'd put it out and yields just kind of plateaued and it would slightly decline over the years. And we couldn't figure out why that was happening. And so after kind of digging more into soil science and, you know, learning about things like nitrogen holding capacity, you know, I hadn't had the time to really, you know, look in detail at the farming end of things till we started doing it ourselves. But that was huge because now, now what we do is we'll meter out, we'll test weekly our lagoon water from the dairy, see what our MPK is on there. And we have a variable frequency drive on our pump. And we also have a flow meter. So we'll match that up to the corn stage and its, uh, its nutrient needs. And then we'll uh, meter that out into the stream of fresh water that's coming from our canals as we uh, flood irrigate. So that's been huge. Um, we're using a lot less fertilizer, a lot less uh, lagoon water. We're using it more efficiently and applying it exactly when the crop needs it. And that nitrogen is staying there in the root zone, which has been fantastic and has really affected our yields positively. We want to be good stewards of our land. I mean, family's been farming there for over 77 years, and we don't want to contribute to the problem of nitrogen leaching. So we ended up a few years ago buying Red Shield Technologies uh, nitrate uh, tester. I think uh, it's now called the Soil Scan 360 Yield Center purchased it. Once a week, we'll go out to each of our farms and uh, we'll put a flag out in the field. So we're kind of consistent about where we take our samples within the strip till zone. And we'll go out, take that, come back to our office, run those samples and see what we have left in the soil. And that will tell us for our next irrigation and our flood irrigation of exactly how much NP and K or nitrogen we want to put out that uh, next time. So we, we try to keep that uh, nitrogen level within our nitrogen holding capacity of the soil for that particular farm or field. And the nice thing about having very uniform soil types is we don't have, you know, 10 different soil types within a farm. It's predominantly 90% one soil type, you know, the Hillmar or Delhi sand and the other ones, the other sand or a loamy version of that sand. So, with the frequent soil testing, using the soil moisture probes, that was helpful, especially with the pivots. We were able to control how deep we put that moisture during the droughts. So we saved a lot. We kept it within that top 30 inches. So if you dug below that 30 inches, it was just dry sand. We weren't wasting um, like we do with the flood irrigation. With flood irrigation, we'd narrowed our checks, uh, put our borders closer together so we could uh, get more velocity on that water and cover ground faster. There's only so much you can do to control, you know, the depth of water application there. So that saved us a lot of water up front. And then we apply nutrients as many times as we can in small spurts, especially at the pivots. We'll start early with our nitrogen. We're usually pre-potassium deficient on our areas where we don't have access to dairy nutrient water. And then we'll switch to a 10 10 and then we'll just match after that, once we've got a good uh, nutrient load in that soil where the crop is comfortable, then we'll start our testing and just kind of match it and meter it in as need throughout the year. So results, we had great corn, the most even uniform corn we've ever had. This is actually one of our flood irrigated fields. Typically you'd look over it and you'd see you know, kind of, you could tell exactly right where the different soil zones were without even looking at a map. If uh, flying a drone over it or standing on top of your truck, you could see exactly. 
The strip till has allowed us to have our fields more uniform. We're just seeing, you know, with increased organic matter, we don't have those certain spots drying out faster than others or water standing in other places. So it's been great. So we'll typically, depends on the year, it always seems like we pollinate during a really hot spell. So we had some tip back um, that year just, just due, to the, uh, due to the hot weather during that time. And then uh, harvesting silage. This was from our um, drip irrigated corn. So for reference, I'm 6'5". And so walking through those cornfields is the biggest corn I had ever seen or ever grown. It was fantastic. The only downside to it it's a lot of work putting out that drip tape. Uh, the first, first day we got 10 acres done, and that was a 12 hour day. So we kind of implemented some changes and we ended up getting up to about 40 acres per day. So we were rushing you know, before the corn emerged and we were running over it. And the other downside is a lot of cleanup. So, but in case of drought, we'd do it again in a heartbeat. And I know some companies are working on subsurface drip in California and Texas, where we have some operations too, have been successful with it. So uh, that's probably something we'll be looking at for future investment in places where we can't uh, put pivot irrigation. So re removing a total crop, we found um, we, we've been inoculating our corn with mycorrhizal fungi. So we've seen tremendous growth in root mass. The only thing I contribute that to is we always have a growing crop and we've experimented with um, different winter and second crops. So now you dig up and you'll actually find roots of decaying matter. So I'm sure some of that organic matter is thrown off just because we have so much root mass within the ground currently. We experimented two years ago with Italian ryegrass, which uh, made a really great, highly digestible silage and dry hay for the cows. The only problem was it is a bear to kill off and strip tilling, it was tough. I mean, Carrie from California Ag, uh, you know, you can see how it'd be like big snakes, about three, four foot pieces that we'd go in and just kind of flip over. So that, that made it tough. That's why this year we had enough inventory of our, of our Italian ryegrass silage. So we went back to our more traditional wheat, oat, and rye mix, which has a little bit more uh, shallower uh, root mass and uh, shatters easily when we go through and strip till. Just one pass is great. With the uh, ryegrass, we ended up having to go through and strip tilling twice just to make sure everything was cleaned out. But yeah, and we, we had uh, certain areas of our fields um, under pivots. We'll farm since we get all of our rain during the winter. We'll plant everything to our winter forage crop. And during the summer, the corners of the pivot that didn't get water Italian ryegrass, we had terminated it with the rest of the field uh, full strength Roundup application. Didn't see any water from mid-April to uh, about mid-October of this year. And after our first big rain, the stuff came back. So I was just confounded by how tough Italian ryegrass is. <laughs> Well, thank you, Aaron, for sharing your advice and experience on making strip till successful in challenging soil conditions. Again, we'd like to recognize and thank our sponsor, Topcon Agriculture, for making this strip till farmer podcast series possible. And I certainly look forward to your feedback on today's program, so feel free to drop me an email at jzemlicka at lessetermedia.com or give me a call at 262 
777-2441. You can also keep up on the latest strip-till practices impacting your farm today by registering online at striptillfarmer.com for our free strip-till strategies daily e-newsletter. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at striptillfarmr and on our Strip-Till Farmer Facebook page. And I'd also like to invite you to join us at the 27th Annual National No-Tillage Conference, coming up January 8th through the 11th in Indianapolis. The theme of the 2019 event is Pathways to Higher No-Till Profits, and will feature a mix of general sessions, classrooms, and roundtable discussions. Look for speaker announcements and conference updates at notillfarmer.com. Well, I hope that you'll join us again on October 5th for the next episode in our 2018 podcast series. And a reminder that you can still register to receive our free Strip-Till Farmer print publication at striptillfarmer.com. For Aaron Wickstrom, Topcon Agriculture, and our entire staff here at Strip-Till Farmer, I'm Jack Zemlicka. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.